Welcome to the Icelandic True Crimes podcast. My name is Margaret Björs and this is the podcast where you will get your weekly injection of Icelandic True Crimes. Details in the episodes can be of violent or disturbing nature, so I encourage you to skip ahead when needed. Also keep in mind that care and respect must be taken in coverages and discussions of sensitive cases. Also notes can be found on the website icelandictruecrimes.com. Let's dive in. In this episode, I will cover a case which got a heated exposure in its time. But over a hundred years have passed since. It became the first tablet report in Iceland in the newly created Morgunbladet, or the morning newspaper, and raised the issue of great dismay among the population of Reykjavik city and beyond. When Icelandic murder cases are in discussion, this case is usually presented. When I started gathering my research for this case, there was something about it that caught me specifically, and has it since acquired a certain part in me. I have traced the background of many of those who play a role in this case, to come to the bottom of it. In fact, I collected too much research to fit into one episode, and therefore you will now hear the first part of this case, and the second comes out a week after. But the year is 1913, and on November 13th, a man named Eyjolfur Jónsson died, after 13 days of intense agony and anguish. All of the symptoms immediately indicated that his death was caused by poisoning, and all over the city of Reykjavik, the rumor had spread that it was intentional. Everything pointed towards this man's younger sister, Juliana Silva Jónsdóttir. In the event, she was sentenced to death, and was thereafter known as the last death sentence in the history of Iceland. But who were the siblings Eolver and Juliana, and what brought her to poison her own brother? How did the last death sentence of Iceland go, and what happened to the surviving role players of this tragedy? Let's deep dive into this case. We'll start at the beginning. The parents of Eyjolfur and Juliana were Jón Einarsson and Silva Sigurðardóttir. Jón, born in 1831, and Silva, 1833. When Silva was only six, her mother died, and therefore Silva was brought to the island Höskuldsey, where she grew up as a pauper. Back then in Iceland, paupers were children who had lost either one or both parents and were arranged by the local authority to be brought up to stay and work at strangers' homes, who got paid an allowance in exchange. It was not an easy life to live, and many of those children lived in tragic situations with these strangers, and had to do a work of labor from an early age. Jón and Silva both grew up in extreme poverty and labor. From adolescence, Silva moved between farms as a servant, and that's how she met Jón in service. He was a strong man and was later considered an efficient farmer and sailor, but gentle and soft-hearted. Silva was considered a kind mother, and Eolver particularly loved his mother dearly. They moved to Jón's parents' farm, Krosnes, nearby in the west, 
and got married in 1857. Soon after, they began farming and had their first daughter, a year later, named Thora. Next, their daughters Magdalena and Jófríður were born, and thereafter Eyjólfur and Júlíana. When Júlíana was just over a year old, their eldest daughter Thora died by the age of eight. Many years passed until Jón and Silva had their next daughter, whom they also named Thora. But it was often frequented to name children after their deceased siblings. Sadly, the second Thora died only three months old. A year after, Silva gave birth to their stillborn son, but eventually their last daughter Hansina Lilja was born, who later became known in the town Stekesholmer for running the boarding house Hansine Hus, or Hansina's house. You will hear more of Hansina later on. This Icelandic family lived in an arduous century, which was a specially problematic century for the poor, like they were. Icelanders were struck by illnesses and catastrophes of different kinds, and it was common for married couples to lose some of their children due to terrible accidents or illnesses. At that time, medical care had come a short way in Iceland. It was not until 1867 that this family moved to the farm Norderbaur, or Northern Ridge, in Snæfellsnes County. And thereafter, Jón received his nickname, Baurar Jón. Until then, they had moved rapidly, which in this era was common due to poverty and difficult conditions and circumstances. They lived the longest in Norderbaur, but in the winter of 1881-82, Iceland was impacted by the earlier Great Frost, and therefore, Jón and Silva resorted to moving. During that winter, major snowstorms brewed, sea ice became fast ashore, and in the north, frost went below 40 points. Therefore, it became difficult to pursue seamanship. Livestock got killed, and little vegetation grew for people and livestock to feed on. The Great Frost increased the poverty of Icelanders, and even some died of hunger. After moving between islands in the fjord Breiðafjörður, Jón and Silva got in the possession of the farm Arnorstadir in the west Bardastrand. By then, all of their children had moved from home for employment, except their youngest Hansina, who then was six. But as Eyjólfur found it difficult to live far from his mother, he sought employment close to his parents and later moved to the farm. Now let's turn our attention to the siblings Eyjólfur and Juliana. Eyjólfur was born July 1st, 1863, and was the fourth child of Jón and Silva. Like his father, Eyjólfur was hard-working but also strong, and therefore nicknamed Eyjólfur the Strong or Eyjólfur with the Iron Hands. He moved young from home, and only at 15 became a shepherd and a call boy in a parish close by. He worked extensively as a sailor on trawlers and a laborer between farms in the West Fjords and the islands of Breiðafjörður. He was thought to be more prosperous than others money-wise, considering his work but that was due to him being thrifty and spending little on himself. He took no care in what he wore or how he looked, 
and was constantly working. He bought landed properties for leasing and pursued loan operations, but never collected interests of those whom he loaned, no matter how long the loans endured. Eyjolver was funny and playful. He was bookish and knew many rhymes. He often chanted rhymes on special occasions for those he worked and associated with, and entertained others in the evenings after work. When Eyjolver was 34, he moved back to his parents at Arnorstadir. He wanted to stay close and take care of his mother Silva, who by then had become ill. She suffered from ascites, an abnormal buildup of fluid in the abdomen, which little could be done to cure. When Silva died, Eilver felt rootless. But Silva and Jón had adopted a little girl named Olavia Guðrún Thorgrinsdóttir. And after Silva passed away, Eilver adopted Olavia himself. He was never known to be in the company of any woman, nor did he have children of his own. But he was fond of Olavia and looked after her as his own. Since he didn't have any descendants... Olavia was to inherit all of his assets after his death. He then bought Arnorstadir from his father Jón and left Olavia in his father's care while Eolver moved back to the Westfjords to work on trawlers. Julia Silva was born August 1st, 1865, the fifth in the series of siblings who reached adulthood. When the great frost set in and her parents were forced to leave their farm Norderbaur, Juliana was 17. She moved to become a servant in the farms of Bardastrand County and the islands of Breafjörður like her brother. In 1890, when Juliana was 25, she became a servant in the island Atledae in Breafjörður for the harbour pilot and farmer Magnus Einarsson and his wife Ingibjörg Ivarsdóttir. They had two sons, Jón and Steinthor, and both were older than Juliana. Later that same year, Magnus's wife Ingebjörg passed away. Then, in 1892, the 27-year-old Juliana gave birth to a daughter, whose father was Juliana's 64-year-old boss, Magnus. On this occasion, they got engaged and named their daughter Hansina Dilja, after Juliana's younger sister, Hansina. Their daughter died only two weeks old, which Juliana grieved dearly. But soon after, she and Magnus got married, and Juliana became a housewife in Atledae. That same year, Juliana's younger sister Hansina moved in with them in Atledae, then 16. She had been in service in the island Söðeyjar in Breiðafjörður, and was pregnant by Jón Ólafur Ormsson, her 27-year-old married boss. She gave birth to their daughter in 1893 and named her Juliana Magdalena, after two of her older sisters. But Jón Olaver never admitted to being the father, nor did he ever pay Hansina any child support. Then, Hansina became pregnant again by the watchmaker Jón Magnusson, Magnus's older son. Jón was 18 years older than her. They had a son who only lived for a day, and since they lived on an island, they couldn't get a priest to baptize their son in time and therefore Jón named him Julius Magnus in a shorter baptism before he died. Jón and Hansina later got married and had three daughters who all reached 
adulthood. But more on them later. Back to Juliana and Magnus. The same year Hansen moved in with them in 1893, Juliana and Magnus had their daughter Margret. They continued to live in Atledae until they had to retire in 1903 and moved with Margret to the sea town Stikkelsolmur into a house then called Söderhöfði. It is not until 1906 that Juliana gives birth to another daughter named Silva Brenhildur. However, Magnus was not the father. By then, Juliana was 41 and Magnus 78. Juliana had then had an affair with Jón Valdemar Johannesson, who was eight years younger than her. Juliana had then had an affair with Jón Valdemar Johannesson, who was eight years younger than her. He refused to confess to being the father and Magnus said nothing about it but still decided to father Silva Brenhildur. By now, there have been quite a lot of men named Jón, as you have heard. The name Jón is a very common male name in Iceland, and therefore you must listen carefully to keep up with me. More men named Jón will come into play as I go on, so it would be interesting to know how many men named Jón you can count out this episode. Anyway... Three years later, Magnus suddenly dies, then 81 years old. By then, his daughter Margret is 16 when she loses her father, and Silva Brenhildur is three. The previous year, Juliana and Eilver had lost their father, and Juliana had a hard time dealing with these losses of her father and then-husband in such short intervals. Silva Brenhildur had been taken into a temporary foster a year before Magnus died, but Juliana then took her back later in 1909. The mother and daughters kept living in Stekesolmur until they moved to Reykjavik City in 1911. There, Juliana hopes for better times and to find work, since in that time there was a great upswing in Reykjavik, and people moved there from the countryside to find work in the fishing industry and various constructions. For instance, the construction of the Reykjavik harbor. In Reykjavik, Juliana met Hannes Hansson, nicknamed Hannes Matros, or Hannes, the sailor. He was 53, and Juliana and her daughters moved in with him, where they lived in great poverty. Against Hannes's wishes, Juliana takes a sick man into their home, Jón Jónsson, and allows him to stay with them. Jón was then 43, and had recently left his wife, Ingeberg. Jón Jónsson was nicknamed Jón the Unemployed. He pursued work on land and sea, but was said to be rather unwilling to work, or, in modern language, lazy. In the spring of 1912, Juliana wanted Jón to stay on with her and Hannes as a worker. What Hannes didn't know then was that Juliana and Jón had started an affair they tried to have Hannes wave his possessions to her, including half a house he owned, but rented out. That didn't go as planned, and Hannes breaks up with Juliana. She and Jón, along with her daughters Margaret and Silva Brenhildur, moved to Aunanest. Jón completed his divorce to Ingeberg after Juliana had strongly insisted of the divorce going through. Now back to Eyjolfur again. Eyjolfur 
moves to Reykjavik in early December 1912. He helped out his sister and Jón with paying their rent and in exchange got to stay with them in Aunanist. Margret, Juliana's older daughter, had met the tanner Sigurbjörn Magnusson, who was 16 years her senior. When Eilver had just moved to Reykjavik, Margret gave birth to her son, Magnus. Margret moved in with Sigurbjörn, and the next spring after they marry and baptize Magnus the same day. Eilver kept staying with Juliana and Jón, between working various jobs and still paying their rent. That spring, Jón and Juliana move into a small room in a basement on Brekkustigur, along with their daughter Silva Brynhildur. The room had two beds, one bigger than the other, and a cloth-dressed table in the middle of the room. In one corner stood a spinning wheel, and on the radiator sat a coffee pot. In the window lay tobacco tins, and white transparent curtains hung from it. Juliana showed pride in keeping everything neat and clean. Before Eolver went to work in Hrunamannarreppur over the summer, he got to keep his yellow-painted trunk, a sailor's trunk, at Juliana's home till he'd be back. Do you like what you've heard so far? Make sure you never miss a show by hitting subscribe. By doing so, you won't miss out on new episodes and also support the Icelandic True Crimes podcast. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for the support. The Icelandic True Crimes podcast is on social medias and on the website icelandictruecrimes.com. You can find additional information in this episode's show notes. Now let's continue with the show. Before I was telling you about Eilver going east to Hrenumarreppur to work over the summer. It's the year 1913, and in the fall, September 5th, Eilver returns back to Reykjavik. He moves to Vestergata, into a house called Dukskot. It was a small turf house, which Jón, nicknamed Jón Dukur, in reference to a farm north in Skagafjörður, built soon after 1800. It so happens that this Jón was connected to several crimes in his time. It has often been wrongfully stated how Duke Scott was connected to the murder of Eilver. For example, that Eilver died or was poisoned there, or that Jón and Juliana were the ones who lived there, but Eilver was a tenant to the couple Magnus Bjarnason and Ingun Jónsdóttir, who lived there along with their daughter, an elderly woman, and two other tenants, Hjörleifur Jónsson and Guðmundur Arnórsson. They will later come into play in this episode. There is a great deal of knowledge and history of Dukskot, but this turf house stood on the north end of where now is the street Gardastræti, before it was torn down back in the fall of 1919 to make room for new buildings. Dukskot was among the last turf houses torn in the downtown Reykjavik area, and had by then seen better days. While Eolver was a tenant in Dukskot, the indoors were described like so. The house had a living room, 
which also functioned as a bedroom, with a low loft. In one corner stood a stove, and the walls were damp. Under a small window sat a table, but over the bed hung an old icon on a sized paper, almost ruined by moist. An old clock also ticked in this living room. Upstairs, in the low loft, were the bunks of two young tenants. If you are interested in learning more about this remarkable turf house, if you are interested in learning more about this remarkable turf house, I encourage you to check out this episode's show notes on the website. When Eyjolfur returned back to Reykjavík after the summer, he got a job with Holmfriður Gisladóttir, the matron of the homemaking school, located in Iðnó, next to the Reykjavík pond. Every morning, he went by foot to the farm Bráðraði to fetch milk for the school, and by day, he did excavation work in Holmfriður's copy hall in Sauðagerðismýri, west of Melar. Eyjólfur sometimes visited his sister Juliana for a cup of coffee after work, since she still lived in Brekkustigur, which was on his way back to the homemaking school, where he had dinner in the evenings. Now certain events happen, leading up to Eyjólfur's death. There had been a controversy between Eyjólfur and Sigfus August Benediktsson, who went by his middle name August. They met while working on a trawler, where Eyjólfur was a boilerman and August the cook at sea. August had promised Eyjólfur to get him a job in the construction of the new harbour in Reykjavík. They became friends, and Eyjólfur loaned August 50 Icelandic kroners, in exchange for a promissory note. But soon after Eyjólfur moved to Reykjavík, nothing became of the job August had promised him, and Eyjólfur was sure August would never pay back his loan. Do you remember the trunk Eyjólfur kept at Juliana's home? On October 5th, he visited her on his way to work to get the promissory note from the trunk that August had given him. Eyjólfur intended to use it in the case August had proceeded against him, where August claimed Eyjólfur was the one who owed him money and not the other way around. When Eyjólfur opened his trunk and searched it, he couldn't find the promissory note. He got fed up and accused Juliana of her and Jon stealing it from the trunk, along with other items. He made threats to Juliana before leaving for work in anger. Later, that same day, he returned after work, and by then, Jon had come home. They got into a fight, and since Eilur was the one paying their rent at Brekkustigur, he attempted to throw Jon out. But Juliana grabbed Eyjólfur's arm, who swung at her, so she fell to the floor. Jón and Juliana managed to get Eyjólfur out the door after he and Jón exchanged threats to each other. After this event, Juliana became frightened of Eyjólfur and intended to sue him for the beating. But Jón convinced her not to and said it would not look good if they went into a lawsuit against each other. According to Juliana, Jón instead encouraged her to get rid of Eyjólfur, and thus inheriting his money and properties. Do you remember Eyjólfur's adoptive daughter, Olavia Guðrún, who was to inherit his possessions? Jón knew about it, 
and he knew Eilver had not yet made it legal on paper. Jon felt that Eilver deserved to be poisoned for the battery and for accusing them of theft. As later told by Juliana, Jon was to have suggested that she trick Eilver into meeting her at the construction site of the harbour and then push him into the ocean. She was to do it alone, but couldn't bring herself to do it. Then he proposed that she tried to procure rat poison, either by buying it herself at the pharmacy or having someone else buy it for her. Juliana fancied doing that instead, but wanted Dion to go and buy the poison. But Dion said he didn't want to have anything to do with this. On Thursday, October 30th, Juliana went to the Reykjavik pharmacy, then located on the corner of Thorvaldsenstreite and Kirkjustreite, and bought 35 grams of rat poison in a glass jar for 35 cents. These 35 grams contain 0.7 grams of white phosphorus, a sevenfold lethal dose. Today, phosphorus is, for example, used in explosives and fireworks, and was formerly used in the coated hats of matchsticks. The next day, Eilor came by Juliana's home for coffee after work, but Juliana didn't have it in her to poison him. Before he went away, he told her he'd visit again after work the following day. On that day, Saturday, November 1st, Jon went early to work, but tells Juliana before he goes that she needs to poison Eilver when he visits later that day. When Eilver finishes work around five in the afternoon, he stops by at Juliana's. She gives him coffee and then offers him skir, which is an Icelandic yogurt, only thicker. She tells him she was recently given it, and Eilver takes her up on the offer. Asker was a favorite of his. While he sat there drinking his coffee, Juliana stared the skir into a bowl, and out of the corner of his eye, Eilver saw Juliana scooping two spoons of white powder into the bowl, which he thought to be sugar. When Eilver started feasting on the skir, he found it tasted stale and asked Julian about it. She told him the taste was caused by snaps, or Icelandic brennivin, which she had stirred into the skir earlier. And then she sprinkled sugar over the skir in his bowl. Eilver finished eating and then drank a few more cups of coffee mixed with brennivin. He then went to the homemaking school for dinner. When he was finished eating at the school, the poison had begun to take effect and Eilver started to feel ill. He went home to Dukescott and got there around 9 p.m., telling the other house members that he was feeling sick after eating skir, which must have had gone bad by the taste of it. He goes to rest along with the household around 10 p.m. Eilver lies on the flat bedding on the floor under a window, the married couple Magnus and Ingun in their bed, and their daughter and the elderly woman on other flat bedding on the floor. In the low loft, the two other tenants lie in their bunks. Before the lights are turned off, Eilver chants a few rhymes for the household, as he was accustomed to, and among other things, from Thordarimur, or 
Þórðurs Rhymes. Sjögunar upphaf segir frá svinnum kýfmæringi, Þórður nefndi sekkur sá sveitar stórhöðingi. Tamur spjóta vinnu við vantaði sjaldan Þórinn, Hröstur nú með hermannsið hörða káraborin. Eyjólfur and the household go to sleep, but soon, around 11 p.m., they are woken up by Eyjólfur throwing up vigorously. They go to see what is ailing him. He tells them he has a stomach ache and cries out in pain. The people later said... The vomit had smelled terrible and looked like glowing phosphorescence. What they were actually describing was that the vomit looked as if it was glowing in the dark, an emission of light from a substance exposed to radiation and persisting as an afterglow after the exciting radiation has been removed, just like clock hands and numbers do in some clockwork. This went on till three in the morning when Eyjólfur finally fell asleep. The morning after, Sunday morning, Eyjólfur is feeling better and gets up at seven, but suspects, however, that Juliana must have put something in the skir he ate. He gets dressed and heads west to Bralrade to fetch milk for the homemaking school as he was used to. Before he departs, Ingun asks if he knows the person who gave him the skir. And Eyjólfur replies that he knew them if he wanted to know them, adding his sister gave it to him, but that he didn't think she was capable of doing such an evil thing like drugging him. The next day, Eyjólfur goes to work as usual, but complains, however, of feeling ill. He intends to get home by seven, but instead goes to Juliana to get his trunk and accuses her of putting something into the skir as he had become sick. Later, Juliana said during trial she regretted her actions after Eyjólfur's visit and that since then she had not felt whole mentally and physically. When Eyjólfur got home in Dukescott, he went to bed around 9 p.m. with a trunk on the floor beside his flat bedding. He reached into the trunk from where he lay and noticed his savings account book and two kroners were missing. In his savings were supposed to be 705 kroners and 32 kroners in a coin purse. This pissed Eyjólfur off, who got dressed again and obtained the other two tenants, Hjörleifur and Guðmundur, to go with him to Juliana as his witnesses, when demanding her to give him back his savings account book. Juliana reads into her chest of drawers to give it to Eyjólfur, but Jón then stepped in and forbade her saying it was better kept with them. Juliana runs out to the street, and Eyjólfur and his co-tenants follow. Eyjólfur and Juliana talk back and forth, and ultimately, Juliana is too scared to not give him back the book, and head back in to get it. She hands it over to Eyjólfur, who finds nothing is missing from it. They part on good terms, and Eyjólfur heads back to Dukescott with Hjörleifur and Guðmundur. The next day is Tuesday, November 4th, and three days have passed since Eyjólfur had been poisoned. He goes to work in Holmfríður's copyland, west on Melar, but stops by at his friends, 
Adelon Grimson, a ship's captain, and his wife, Halka, whom he had known for long. They found him to be rather reserved, and Halka offered to give him something to eat. But Eilve refused, which he was not used to do, albeit, known to never refrain from food. He told them he felt ill from being drugged, but wouldn't go into detail whom he suspected. Before he headed home to Dukescott, he promised Halka he'd come by the day after to clear an ass box. When he gets home, he tells the household both his stomach and head ache and goes to rest. Now it's Wednesday, November 5th, and Helga is expecting Eilver to come by after work. But this morning, Eilver is really suffering, so the household in Dukescott has a district doctor, Jón Hjaltalin Sigurdsson, come to examine him. Eilver complains of a burning pain under his chest, in the bottom part of the breastbone where the ribs lie around, and of faintness. He tells the doctor he ate scared at his sister's the past Saturday evening, and suspects her of poisoning him. But begs that she will not be punished for it, as he's always been very healthy, and is sure he will get better. The days pass, and the doctor continues to attend to Eilver in Dukescott. On Saturday, November 8th, Helga goes to Dukescott to check on him, as Eilver has not shown up as he had promised. There, Eilver lies on his flatbed, seriously ill and in pain, and not able to move. At this stage, his skin has become yellow, which indicates liver failure. He was always thirsty and could eat a little, but was no longer throwing up. When Helka asks him who poisoned him, he says Juliana must have done it, and that her partner Jón must be in on it. Helka and Eilver talk some more, and they start talking about his assets, Helga advises him to not bequeath any of it to his sister, who had done him so wrong, but to leave everything to his adoptive daughter Olivia Guðrún, who was then living in Bardastrand. Eilver told Helga he'd avert Juliana having any of his assets. He told her more than this was needed to be done, to kill him. Two days later, on Monday, November 10th, nothing could be understood of what Eilver was saying and he often went in and out of consciousness. And on Tuesday, he was transferred to the hospital, Lantakot Spitale. There, he feeds a little on milk, but then isn't able to nourish. Thursday afternoon, November 13th, in the year 1913, Eilver dies. This is the end of the first part of this case. Next week, I will cover the scenario in continuation of Eilver's death, the trials over Julian and Jon, and the consequences of this case on its survivors. Thank you for listening to the Icelandic True Crimes podcast. You can find links and other sources mentioned in this episode's show notes on the website icelandictruecrimes.com so you don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe to this podcast on any podcast app and follow on social media. If you want to support this podcast, you can share it with your friends and leave a star and review so others can find it. I really appreciate it. Until next time, I encourage you to join the Ice Lake True Crimes discussion group on Facebook, 
where we can discuss this case further along with other Icelandic crimes. See you there! Oh, my God.